Hey everybody, it's Adam back with the same old new PNEU podcast. We've got another installment in our Women Who Rock series, and this time I have a fellow podcaster, uh, a UCI level cyclocross racer, the 2015 and 16 Queen of Kansas uh, race promoter, and just recently the holder of the Women's FKT fastest known time on the Los Padres Traverse route, Amanda Nauman. Amanda, how are you? Good, Adam. How are you? That was I'm nice. Very Thanks well. for that intro. <laughs> <laughs> I try to build it up to a crescendo, you know? Yes, it's perfect. <laughs> it's so good to chat with you. Uh, I'm in Iowa. Amanda's in California, I'm assuming. Um, and don't get it, maybe get across paths only a couple times a year. Uh, so it's good to catch up with you. Um, one thing I want to start on, I think this has to start because it baffles me. How do you transition? And more people are doing it now, but how is there a transition between two disciplines to me that are so opposite? Um, ultra, let's call it, versus cyclocross. H how do you just build two um, seasonal mindsets and training plans to go from like, full bore one hour to rarely, if ever, full bore 10 to 15 hours. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, it definitely sounds like I'm crazy. <laughs> they don't make sense to me. I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, I know. I So the best way to explain it is I grew up as a swimmer. So I swam from age six through college. I swam all four years in college. And coming out of that, I was a distance swimmer. So I swam the 500, the mile, um, if you ever met an age group swimmer and talk about training stuff, like it's a crazy amount of hours that we put in for so many years that really that endurance base that sounds ludicrous um, to be able to race at. I've really just been training it since the age of six, essentially. <laughs> it's not like it just came out of nowhere. Um, so yeah, I... I'm pretty good at the long distance endurance stuff just innately because of that. <laughs> and good. then yeah, the good. reason why I like cyclocross so much is because I'm not that good at it, all things considered, because it doesn't come naturally to me. So I do cross and a lot of this long stuff just because I love it. I don't think that I would necessarily suggest people balance both the same way that I do or think that there's like a secret training to make it to make both work <laughs> I think it's sure. just I'm crazy and I can probably do it for a few years before I'm gonna get burnt out um but yeah so it's mostly a combination of like high intensity stuff and so obviously my volume during winter and fall is very low um and then take a break and then start ramping it back up essentially because you dabble kind of more in both aspects do you feel like maybe you do a few more high intensity uh, workouts in what would normally have been a cross racers downtime and conversely a few more longer rides during cross season or are you really uh, peaking so much that you're just not throwing those into training plans? Yeah, it's, I think because of this past crazy pandemic year uh, it's definitely different now I would say but if I'm going back and explaining to you like 2016 17 18 yeah and even into 19 that 
DK weekend was always such a big deal at the beginning of June. So essentially from January until the end of May, it was all volume, all focused on that. And it basically let me split the year. So the first half of the year is all volume. I usually take a lot of June and July off and then it starts ramping back up into that high intensity stuff. And yes, as I found success in gravel and some of these longer distance things, I would have sponsors that wanted me at longer events later in the summer or early in the fall. And so naturally I would just have to do both. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, that's the highest level look at it is basically I just split my year into. Yeah. And, and while I do think they're different disciplines, obviously there's somewhat of Venn diagram, you know, making a break in a two person pace line in a gravel ride is not so different than making the break in a cross race. Um, yeah. Or, knowing that you can ride your bike for 10 hours might give you some confidence you can push hard for an hour. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, yeah. For certain things. Yeah, and one way I always describe it, especially for the women's race in, at, in any of these gravel events is we are going as hard as we possibly can for the first hour, maybe two hours, just to try and get into as fast a group as possible. Positioning. So for, yeah, for somebody like me, it's very beneficial because you need that high intensity in the beginning. anyways, if you're just going out to finish it, it's a different story, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, having that high intensity stuff is beneficial, um, in any regard. Right. If you've puked in your mouth hour two, probably not a good DK or unbound following. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or great. And you're no really good. Yeah. <laughs> liberating uh thank you for explaining that to me because we have seen some other cyclocross racers move into longer distance gravel but mm -hmm. more it's been the the road cyclists that have spent 100 mile days 200 mile days on road um so that's always even being in the bike shop and talking to athletes i've never really understood the the full-on partitioning i guess is probably best phrase of like how to prepare for this and then how to prepare for that yeah, yeah, it's definitely unique, I think. Um, but they, they lend themselves very well to each other. And if anything, mostly in the bike handling, right? It's the same Absolutely. kind of bike. Yeah, same kind of. Cut seconds in every aspect of cycling, being able to ride the right line. Yeah, exactly. Um, so another thing I'd like you to just quickly explain to us, um, we talked about you uh, establishing, really. I know another lady completed the route, but this is the the first time that's a benchmark, let's say, um, an FKT, which is stands for fastest known time. But in my understanding, that doesn't mean I went out there feeling good one day just because I was feeling good and posted on my Strava. Um, is there some, uh, I know at least when it came to things like Coca Pelli, which is where I first heard of FKTs and stuff, you had to let people know that you would be on a certain day, uh, there were certain things that needed to be maybe established to make it a FKT attempt. Is that still correct? Yeah, for sure. It, there really isn't still anything super official about it. Sure. Uh, and the FKT world is very established in running. And that's kind of, I think, that ultra running is where it really got its name and the idea that people go out on these ridiculously long rides and traverses on foot, like right. that, like there are people that do the same thing that I did on foot. And I think that's crazy. Um, it is. Yeah. No interest. It is. Yeah. None. 
And it definitely has um, transitioned over into the cycling world, I would say, in uh, a handful of areas, a lot in Colorado. I agree with you, Rebecca's ride was the first time that I had ever heard of it too. And it's very... Um, DJ Birch was my first knowing of a FKT on the Cocapelli, maybe like oh, 2010 okay. even. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, and just the idea of going out and being the fastest person to do something, you know, that's not a novel concept. That's why we have Strava. <laughs> right. It's more of this sort of really long adventure that you can challenge yourself on. Seems to be most of these FKTs are that kind of style. Um, you know, like I said, it's not like you're going and doing a three minute climb and uh, you get the crown and you're like, I have the FKT on blah, right. blah, blah. A little blah. more enveloping. Um, yes. And I think that's a good way to segment into so some of the basic stats on your uh, Los Padres Traverse FKT attempt. <laughs> the first one is what I'm going to say, because I live in Iowa and it's not a big deal. 30s, 32 average temp. <laughs> I feel like that's the most brutal one for a Californian. Um, but overall distance, about 83 miles. It starts with a major climb. Uh, hovers in the four to 5,000 elevation gain peaks a few times above six. And I calculated with rough math about 55 to 6,000 feet of climbing gain in the 83 miles, which is no joke. Is that, are all those in line with uh, my math conversions accurate? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's close enough. I mean, that first, so there's like one big climb in the beginning. And Huge you're essentially, climb. Yeah, you're traversing across the top of this range. And then at the end, you just like dive bomb down. And it, the total climbing ended up being 11,000. So it's still a oh. lot total. Yeah, wow. it's just that first one is a kick in the face that's like 5,000. So Right. At, I mean, when does that really start? Because the Strava, you know, they don't really necessarily, you look at it and you're like, you don't get it. Because on my look, it looked like basically you just propped your bike up on the hill and just went up, you know, yeah. like, holy cow, <laughs> punch right off the bat. Yeah. 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 That's part of what was so appealing about it, too, is I do not like climbing. I wouldn't consider myself a climber. So knowing I could get it, the big one out of the way in the beginning, I was like, I'm in because I'll just do it and get it over with. Yeah. And so uh, I, I kind of jokingly bring up the temperature thing, but I really do think that's a, an aspect of your particular attempt that has to be addressed. Um, when you're starting in the 30s, climbing 5,000 feet or whatever, staying up and then trying to descend cold probably nutrition deficient at that point, just trying to get home. Gear management has to be, and clothing, I think specifically has to be really on point. Um, and I just wouldn't have assumed that you spend as much time in 30 degrees as I do. Uh, talk about the hurdle of like what testing gear for thirties and reliability and because obviously you didn't just look at this and say, I'm going to go do the FKT. You'd scouted the route. You knew what was coming. Yes. Yes, definitely. So the backstory is I was planning to do the Caldera 500 last year and the ride got canceled because of wildfires and a host of other things, but mostly a main section of the route was on fire when I was going to go do it. And because of that, I was like, okay, well, what's next? And I had always wanted to do this Los Padres Traverse 
And I figured, okay, I'm going to put this on my calendar next. And I want it to be something that I choose to do. I was, didn't want any natural disaster to prevent me from doing this. I didn't want COVID preventing me from doing this. Like nobody was going to tell me that I couldn't go do this FKT when I wanted to. And I picked the third week in, the third week in February. And I said, this is when I'm going to do it. I'm going to train for this. I'm planning for it. I don't care what happens. I'm doing it. <laughs> and with that came planning logistics for filming it as well. So the start and the finish area. I had a couple guys come and film me taking off and finishing. And so because it wasn't just me going to do it and there were other people involved, you know, the end of January rolls around and like one of the biggest storms in a decade rolls through most of the West Coast. <laughs> it just dumps a boatload of snow. And so two weeks out from doing this, I went to go up and scout the area and I had all my friends that lived around there were, were like, yeah, you're, you're probably going to hit snow. Like trying to tell me in the nicest way possible, don't do it because of the snow. And essentially I still went in with this attitude of like, I don't effing care if there is snow, I'm going to go do it because I can. And I, and just because there's snow doesn't mean, you know, it's not a raging fire and I can't run through it. I'm going to do it. Right. It's so, just harder, not yes. dangerous. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so that's one concept of this, this FKT world that I appreciate is, you know, if it was any normal event, you're stuck to a time, you're stuck to a weekend, and everybody starts at the same time, and everybody's dealing with the same sort of uh, environmental conditions. And the cool thing about the FKT world and doing a lot of these expeditions is it your it's your choice when you can do it, what conditions you want to do it in, cold hot whatever and so it was cool to be able to do it uh in that third week of february even though i knew it was going to be freezing like you said and that i was going to be hiking through snow so yeah. while i do not spend enough time at that temperature yes clothing choices were clutch for this ride <laughs> yeah i uh honestly when i looked at your stats right off the bat the first thing that popped into my mind and i'm not going to put it in yours necessarily uh, so when's she going back on a 70 degree day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, it's California. Why would you not do this at seventies? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Can you, um, <laughs> can you talk about a little bit about certain gear that really maybe saved your ass on a few things or, um, some things that you wish you would have had or on the possible second attempt that I'm guaranteeing will happen at some point. Uh, <laughs> you know, things you would have brought or, or shifted it up, even if it wasn't thirties, just like, you know, this was overkill or this was underkill kind of thing. Tire selections, you know, anything like that. What did you learn off your first attempt without giving the secrets away? <laughs> um, the, I think the most important thing on a ride like this, where you're in the backcountry, is being able to know where your either water refill spots are or how much water you're carrying. Because so, FKT, sorry to interrupt, FKTs are unsupported by, I would say in all cases, right? Yeah, in most, I think to, in, to officially call it that. Sure, yes. majority of, let's just say it's an unsupported. You could cash water, I believe at places, similar to the Cocapelli kind of situation. But other than that, it's, you gotta know. Yeah, you're on your own for yeah. sure. And yes, the, the water collection, figuring out how much I needed to carry, I think that was the most important part of it. And 
knowing that I carried a bladder and a filter with me because I knew at one point I was going to cross a spring and I ended up not touching it at all. And so over the course of 10 hours, I had 150 ounces that I started with and just basically drained all of that and doing the quick math that ended up being 15 ounces per hour that I brought with me. At which 32? is like just enough. Yeah, 32 though, maybe not the worst it could be. Exactly. And so that was my biggest takeaway was that when I do this, when it's warmer, I cannot survive with that few water. <laughs> I think an additional challenge in your specific ride is how much water do you bring right off the bat when you got to lug it up that climb right. versus it's do I bring capacity and a filter or whatever, you know, like I, I wouldn't think that was an interesting dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Empty and bottles that, versus, you know, that can be filled versus full bottles that would last kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And and that was my intention. Honestly, that was why I brought the filter in the dirty bladder was because I, I didn't think I brought enough. And then when I got up there and realized it was just going to be freezing the whole time and I could get away with less because my sweat rate was lower. Then I made that decision on the fly that I wasn't even going to stop to refill and I could survive. But yeah, temperatures even 10 degrees warmer, I would have to renegotiate that with myself. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think looking at your Strava, the, the first climb is obviously the, the intimidating. It's like the holy moly of it. But something that I also thought a lot about is 75 miles into it, you scream downhill for a while. And in my thought about that, if cold is in play, that's just the bonus, but fatigue, uh, things like that at a point where, you know, um, you're maybe, uh, drained and you're hitting your highest speeds. Uh, how did you feel about that? And, uh, maybe just talk about the, like the reserves that you thought you have to keep to descend because a great ride, no matter if you pile it on that descent, you know, um, did that cross your mind? Did you consider like, I need to just make sure I have enough to stay sharp on the descent uh, as a cross racer who can handle a bike? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And so that's the unique thing about this ride was at about 55 to 60 miles, it was going to be the highest elevation. And then the, the tipping point to when it just screams downhill for two hours, essentially yeah, 60 miles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's crazy that when, I got to that point in your, in my mind, I knew that that was going to be my mental checkpoint of like, okay, that's the last time I need to go hard. <laughs> um, but what kind of crushed it was that because that was the highest elevation point, I ended up like running through snow for almost five miles on and off my bike. And I went from thinking that I could for sure, absolutely no question finish before sundown to running my bike panicking that I wasn't like going to have enough light to finish. And so right. it went from, oh, this is an awesome ride. I'm feeling great to survival mode once I was running through large patches of snow. So I was running, but yeah, it, mostly just that survival mode is what switched for me. And so it ended up being like, okay, this is no longer about the fastest time. This is me just trying to get down this mountain safely. So I got to the top shoved a bunch of food in my mouth because it's still two hours. It's still a long period of time. I put on wind jacket, really thick gloves and yeah, just sent it, but as carefully as I could. Yeah. I, I think that's a happen. really, 
uh, sorry, I think that's a really interesting dynamic there, you know, and again, what you said, hiking, a testament to, in my opinion, the, the FKT mantra, you got what you got and you dealt with it and it is what it is. And also I like that FKTs, it's not a period, you know, you can, you can attempt an FKT regularly, I think, you know, like, so you just experience, I think the the takeaway that's awesome is your experience that you got of like, man, that might've been as close to as bad as it gets. And that's a good place to have in the pain bank, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. But I did look at that descent and I think my first thought was like, oh, you could chill. And then I actually looked at it and I was like, oh my God, you got to be on point for this one. <laughs> yeah, basically just try not to crash. <laughs> yeah, right. Because it's a whole ride. Right. It, it, And so one thing I was just thinking of that relates to where you live and probably a lot of your listeners, I have a really high sweat rate. And so part of like my clothing management for this ride was I knew I was just going to drench everything in that first two hours. Right. And then it's just a matter of trying to keep wind barriers on me to, to stay warm for the rest of it. And so Yeah, that's one thing I'm still learning because I don't live in super cold climates all the time is is trying to figure out clothing choices for a sweaty person. It's very difficult for me. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, in jest, I kind of mentioned you don't spend time. But personally, since we do, you don't know clothes until you've been in clothes and they've either succeeded or failed. Like I've never found a clothes, a piece of clothing that said, this will be great for you, Adam Blake at 20 degrees, put it on at 20 degrees. And I was like, dang, I feel good. You know, it just doesn't happen. So even if you have it all, unless you can stand like in a walk-in cooler, you know, like how do you even, I just didn't even know how you would test a lot of that gear. Yeah. Cause cross is in the winter, but you're not wearing multiple layers for a cross race because you're full gas, you know? So yeah, you ride in an off season that would have cooler events like a jingle cross could be anything, but you're not dressing the same, you know, there's no crossover there. I don't feel like. Right. And it's that idea of, yeah, in a cross race, my heart rate's super high the whole time. And then I can stop, put a jacket on, but for something like this and a dynamic of mountain biking in general, just the undulating nature of it and your heart rate's going to dip super low while you're descending is managing my core temperature is still something I'm learning and trying to figure out. So yeah. And moisture transfer, you know, the layers getting it off mm-hmm. your body. Um, we're going to take a quick break, come back with more with Amanda, talk about what she rode. Um, we'll talk about what she rides in cross gravel similarities and differences. Uh, a couple other things that she's engaged in. And then of course the world famous only in my brain lightning round. We will be right back. And we are back on the new PNEU podcast with Amanda Nauman, uh, two-time queen of Kansas and current holder of the women's fastest known time on the Los Padres Traverse route. Uh, we were kind of talking about clothing um, and what she gear that she used. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the bike that you rode for this event specifically, how it maybe differs from your unbound dirty cans of bike. And then if you'd like to talk, I would be interested in what similarities there are um, maybe like saddles or grip tape or something between your cross bikes 
and your gravel bikes because they look very similar, but I would wonder if there's not some certain intricate things that don't just work better in certain situations. Yeah, that, that is a great question because I am definitely known for these gravel adventures. And so the second this ride got uploaded to Strava, I got a bunch, a bunch of messages from people that are like, oh, is this gravel bikeable? Like, no, do not do this on a gravel bike. <laughs> it is definitely a mountain bike route. Mountain bike. Yeah, even though it is very fire roady, California fire roads, you know, it's chunky and it just rained the huge boulders in the road. So I would recommend either a hardtail or a, um, you know, cross-country style full suspension full bike. Yeah, uh, unless you are somebody that wants to go get the fastest known time and steal it from the guys out there or me, then yeah, try it on a gravel bike. You might just rattle your brains out at the end or of it. Or a fat bike. Or a fat oh. bike. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's snow. Go <laughs> for it. Plug, you know, got to throw it out there. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what bike, did you um, ride an RKT then? I so I rode the Air Nine so uh, from Niner bikes. Niner yes. bikes. Yes, and hardtail carbon. Yes, and I debated either riding that or the RKT, but it's definitely uh, a question of weight because of water storage coming to play too. Yes. Ish. Yes, be yes, because there's only one bottle cage for me that fits on the on the rocket. Yeah, it's yeah. full suspension versus hardtail. They just all brands i feel like you're rarely getting two yes exactly so i had a dropper that's probably one of the main mods that i think was unique to this um you know in most cases i don't think there are very many people that run a dropper on a hardtail maybe now more so than five or six years ago dropper on everything Amanda. yes sure yeah <laughs> commuter yes. bike dropper <laughs> drop it <laughs> Getting um, ran. yeah so it definitely added some weight but that's i think um worthwhile for an attempt like this just just in terms of safety it gets the saddle out of your way and you can be more comfortable i had really nothing more unique than that but did the dropper sorry to interrupt did the dropper limit uh seat bag storage or maybe at the end of this tell me where you kind of partitioned because it's unsupported i assume you had some gear and tooling and things like that too so i was wondering with dropper and smaller bikes seat post clearance and things like that sorry to interrupt but yeah no for sure it's a great question i have a sir nine from niner uh which was what i was planning to ride for the caldera 500 last year steel, hard yes tail. yes steel hardtail with the dropper and because the frame is so small and i needed to use one of the huge seat bags that became a problem yeah, it's I, I had to like put a bunch of duct tape and super glue on the bottom of the bag because I just committed to skimming my tire. <laughs> so I was like, I need this to drop out of the way. <laughs> I know it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so short people problems and it's, it's fine enough. on the Air 9 because I had just a smaller saddle bag with an extra tube and some parts in there. So it wasn't in the way. And luckily I could um, I strapped it in such a way to leave the collar so it could actually go around the the neck of it once the saddle dropped. Yeah, the stanchion so you're not scratching it or something. Yeah. And did you run the uh, TELUS dropper, the SDG TELUS dropper? Did you run that? I did not because it does not work. Uh, they don't have a 27.2 Diameter. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I ran a KS one for this ride, but yeah, all my other bikes have the TELUS, which is great. I like that dropper. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, super easy to. Um, what gearing, uh, one by 12, I assume, do you run electronic Ooh. or do you run cable actuated uh, derailers? No, yeah, this was mechanical 12 speed from Shimano. Shimano, X, like XT level, the new micro spline kind of stuff. XT, XTR? Yes, yes XTR, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Dang <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely lucky. The 12 speed's a huge game changer for me. I've been riding it for 10 months or so now, and I on a bunch of different bikes, and I love it. It's just really reliable and useful. I usually run electronic shifting on pretty much everything else and jumping into the 12 speed mechanical because that was the only option. I was really weary of it, <laughs> but on I've learned on a lot of these longer things, it's also a lot more reliable. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the wires. Yeah. And stuff. I think if you uh, talk to Shimano and they send you some premium cables and housing too, you can really make, you can make cable feel just smooth as silk. Um, one thing I was going to ask you in this, since you did run a one by 12, do you recall what chain ring size you rode? Because I would have thought like a 30 for the first climb and then like a 34 for the rest of it. But I wondered what, if you just recalled what size chain ring you ran. Yes, I started with a 30. So I'd been riding the 30 until the day before the event. And um, you're not I supposed had... to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. D- disclaimer, do not do this. But right. the day before the event, uh, I had like one of those moments where I was like, maybe 28 is better. And so we put the 28 on. <laughs> you went down. And yeah. did you appreciate that change? Uh, 3000 feet into that climb? Yes, I think over the long haul, it's better. I have a problem of keeping a really low smashing cadence. And so to to change it to a 28 was probably better just to keep my legs uh, more fresh later. Yeah, keeping them moving a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Great. And then uh, Shimano brakes, I assume. What kind of a fork did you run on that? Do you remember? Was it a Fox or a RockShox or anything? Yes, it's a Fox. 34 30. or something. 32 32 sure yeah Yeah. it's hard to keep all the names of those um and any particulars uh like grips saddles touch point stuff um that you've uh as you said you're kind of more noted in the cross and gravel world but you obviously spend a lot of time on a mountain bike um how do you you know women's stuff is kind of is always particular uh is there certain saddles or grips or kind of those touch point things when you're going into 85 miles that you're like, Oh man, I'm so glad this is on my bike. Cause I know I'm going to be comfy. Yeah, for sure. That I would say going off of what we just talked about the, one of the first things was the, the push to unlock feature mm-hmm. in the, of the Fox forks. Yeah. Just the remote. Yeah. All my other bikes, I didn't have that remote on there. So I'm always like reaching down to, to move it or whatever. And just to have that right there was <laughs> yeah, really nice and convenient just to be able to lock and unlock when I needed to. Um, but saddle wise, I run, uh, I've been running this prototype female saddle from SDG actually. So great question because SDG is working on a newer, like a little bit wider version of their current female saddle, which is called the Allure. And yeah, making it more comfy and a little bit, um, a little bit more cushion for these longer things. The one that they have currently, I think, is great for shorter distance stuff, but you can definitely feel it after quite a few hours. So that, along with the the SDG grips, like those contact points, I think were. 
definitely key for me. I've always argued that comfort equals speed in longer rides. Cross race, sure, suffer. That's what you're there for. But in 50 plus, when I'm feeling better, my legs just go faster. Uh, It's the the wrong place to be suffering. Yeah. 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 No, if my butt, my hands, if my core, if all that stuff, if I'm doing good with nutrition and hydration, my legs just naturally are better off. They feel better. They go better. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the only other thing, what size, that's a 29 er, uh, hardtail that you rode. What tires mm-hmm. did you run, uh, in width, if you know, and do you know the models that you ran? Because I feel like the 29 er tire market from 2.2 to like even 2.6 at this point is just blown wide open, uh, in every facet. And like you said, there's some fire road. So I could see a more slick tire, like a Terraville A-line or a Maxxis Icon. But personally, when I'm on mountain bike, I like the knobbly tires. You know, I like grip in my tires when I'm railing a corner or something, or when it gets sketchy. So, um, did you, how did you play that? Like, I want to be able to roll fast when I roll fast. But again, that idea of like, if I pile it in something sketchy because my tires didn't hook up, how good is this event or this attempt going to be anyways? Yeah, definitely. I have the luxury of being able to choose whatever mountain bike tire I need to. I run. What brand I, do you run? I, for all gravel stuff, it's all Renee Airs tires. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. Renee Hearst, yeah. Yeah, and so my options there are great for the skinnier stuff. And so I like the fact that I can also do whatever I need to on the mountain bike. And so I ran the Victoria Mezcals Mm. and I don't remember if it was a two, two, five or a 2.35. One of those. Super Um, solid tire for that. I knew a lot of guys ran them on cutthroats for full on gravel. uh, and Nice, fast rolling. Did you use the G2, the graphene um, sidewall enhancer to give you a little more durable tire, obviously with flats, you don't want to carry a tank tire, but flats are going to slow you down. Yeah, I believe so. Gray the... sidewall? Did it have a gray yes. stripe? Yeah, yes. graphene. Okay, yes. <laughs> Those are the jam. I would have That would have been right on my list of recommendations for your second attempt. Yeah, definitely. I did, um, I rode a portion of the Arizona Trail last November and went out to do a ride with the Arizona Endurance Series. And that was the tire I picked for chunky gravelly crazy arizona single track and i was like if it works there it's going to work here so i carried it over usually the worst case is where you see the failure anything between it it'll be fine exactly (laughs) (laughs) it'll roll (laughs) so a couple other things uh that you do besides race bikes and ride bikes um you also promote or in the past you've did the race ever get executed? Did it execute one year and then in 2019 and then not 2020? Your event. Mammoth Tough. Mammoth Tough. Uh, no. Yeah. It was supposed to, last year was going to be the first year. Can so you we just did it let us know if, if that's still on the cards in some form? Can you just let us know um, what that's about and what people could maybe look forward to? I think we all want stuff to look forward to that we've never heard of. Yeah, definitely. So David and I launched Mammoth Tough almost exactly a year ago. We opened registration in February of 2020 with these grand hopes of a beautiful September 19th date last year. And obviously 
just kind of strung along for quite a few months of hoping it would happen and then realizing it wasn't. So we did a virtual event last year, which ended up going great. We raffled off a bike, which I don't know if you know, but Jeff, Jeff Young won it. Jeffy (laughs) should be disqualified from all things. Adam. Okay. We were doing the raffle and we did it live. We did the raffle live and I'm like, David, you need to pick it because if we pick a friend, this is going to look rigged. So David like goes, reaches in, grabs in. He's like, Jeff? Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) If I pick Jeff Young's name at 24 hours of coming for anything, I just rip it in half and throw it on the ground and tell him it was his. (laughs) Yeah. So crazy. So Jeff won the raffle bike. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so we are planning it for September 18th, 2021. We are hoping to be able to do some sort of in-person thing if we have to stagger it or do a different kind of start, whatever, but I'm hopeful we can do something um, in real life. <laughs> yeah, creativity year. will be key in all aspects for a little while, I think. Yes, uh, Todd yeah. Poquette, who does The Crusher and um, all of those crazy Margie Gessick, uh, we spent a lot of time on a podcast talking just about like, how do you engage responsibly and challenge responsibly and virtually or community oriented, you know, how do you just stir, keep the fire stoked so that when it's go time, we can throw a bunch of coals and people can start, uh, you know, rocking and rolling. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a challenge to do that, especially for an event that had never happened before. We were right. (laughs) You don't have a frame for anything. Yeah. And luckily we had a lot of people that had signed up and were stoked to, to be able to do something. And one thing I think we did, we probably the first event to do this, but we did a scavenger hunt as part of our event. Yeah. And it was really cool. And it got a a lot of people engaged. We were posting a, a lot of the pictures that people were submitting on social media. And so everybody felt like they were still a part of something. Mm-hmm. And no matter where they were riding, they were looking for the same things, doing the same scavenger hunt as everybody else. And it sounds so silly, but it ended up being really cool. And everybody kind of came together over this like silly game that we made. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's just an awesome way to do it. And, and you know, I think your luxury somewhat is it's not like you've never been to events. You understand as a participant who's active. And, you know, when I was in the shop, we saw you around the shop, Dirty Cans a weekend. You're out and about. Uh, you know, you know, you're, you're maybe a, a different goal of a racer than a lot of the people. But you all know, like, there was no porta potties. This stinks <laughs> or whatever, you know, literally. That was a good one. Uh, but you know what I mean? You, you know, like what makes a good event, you know, what people appreciate, you know, you appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that saying that because I do think I pride myself in the fact that David and I have been to so many events across the country and we know what works. And the reason why we did this in Mammoth is because he and I grew up going there from very uh, young ages separately. And so over the years of just coming to love this mountain town uh, uh, in that time period, my parents got a house there. And so we would go up there to train a lot. I spent a lot of DK training up in Mammoth. Mm -hmm. And every time we would go out on these rides, I'd have this feeling of like, this is so amazing that I'm either never going to tell anyone and keep it to myself, or I'm going to put something together so I can share it. And, you know, over the years, we eventually get to the point of like, okay, we, we need to share this with other people because it's so, so rad. And that was our inspiration to kind of put it together. 
And like you said, we know all these elements of things that have worked or haven't worked at other events that we've been to. So it was nice to be able to put something together that we know we would enjoy if we showed up to it. And, and I think that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think to continue on that, um, I'll reiterate when I was at Gravel City and it's DK weekend, let's call it your A race of the, those seasons. I'm sure it was. Um, I saw you every, every year walking around. Well, your bike was in the stand sometimes, but you were moving around, you know, and, and I would say a lot of uh, higher end athletes um, it's good for that because they also see the groundswell, right. And the groundswell is what's building events. Um, when you, I'm not saying you, you, but at a certain level, when you have things facilitated to you, you maybe lose sight of what really matters to you when you're freaking out about a 200 mile a race versus, you know, considering, am I going to make the first break or not? You know? And I think that I would just personally, I can say that I have seen you amongst everyone. And I think that's a good, as I also promote an event or two, it's good to see that when other promoters are in the mix, they're here and they're seeing, and those events I personally feel end up being executed better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I went to the Sugarcane 200 in Florida in January of 2020. So a little over a year ago. Mm -hmm. And Dave Pryor was there who helps put on the unpaved mm -hmm. event in Pennsylvania. And I remember talking to him like, I'm going to launch this thing next month. Um, do you have any advice for me? And he was Don't like, you it. know, as long, as long, oh well, yeah. <laughs> as, <Save> long, yourself. <laughs> as long as you love what you're sharing and you remember that like the reason why you're doing this is to share this area that you love with other people, like just keep that in mind because it's going to be a lot of hard work and frustration. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was going to use the word foundation. I think when the foundation of the event is wholesome or you know, really designed to expose people to a place or to an idea or something, um, that's, people can, they perceive that immediately, you know, like there's no BS about that. It's like, oh, you're right. That's pretty sweet. I can't wait to ride here more. Thank you for inviting me here. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of what gravel kind of has come to be is that they're really just all these pockets of people sharing some of the most beautiful roads around them with other people. And I think that that's awesome. I agree. Um, you also, you're on my podcast, bingo, uh, but you also do a podcast, uh, more gravel oriented, I would say by and large. Uh, you want to tell us, is that with Dave as well? No, Dave's not on it. <laughs> he's not <Is> invited. <laughs> he's too, he's too monotone is what I joke. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So started... that we have or dumb luck <laughs> in my case. <laughs> <laughs> He, um, I got, I got asked to come on the show. It's called the Grodio podcast started by my friends, Bill and Zach. And I was asked to come on after DK, I think in 2019 and, uh, came on, talked about the event and just had enough people that said, Hey, just keep Amanda on this. And so I just helped co-host it now. It's essentially more gravel racing. So, uh, we haven't done an episode in a while because there hasn't been any gravel, gravel racing. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just, you know, our opportunity to kind of talk about the pointy end of these races because I guess people care about it and who's at mm -hmm. the front and who's winning. And um, 
yeah, it's it's just a fun thing to talk about, make some narratives up about these people at the front. And and I don't know if we have to say care about. I mean, I appreciate the efforts that people are there, have put in to be there. You know, like, I don't know if I necessarily honestly always care who wins, but I'm always impressed and have the utmost appreciation that people threw it out on the table and threw down for me to enjoy, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And it's it's unique to the, the space that Gravel is in right now because there's luckily nothing established. There's no series per se. There's just a bunch of people picking events and going to them. And it's just fun to talk about and say like, oh, I wonder why this person went here or this person won this because nobody else was there. Like right. it's just, it's more dynamic than talking about cyclocross races where ev- all of everybody shows up to the same set of events. Yeah, point system kind of mm-hmm. thing where it's like, okay, you finished top five. What a shock. Yeah. That was yeah. the same <laughs> as the last four weeks. Just jostle, you know, jostle maybe. But yeah. um, before we do the lightning round, I would also like to add that at least Bobby didn't win the bike. <laughs> it was close it was so close right i mean that's like the closest you can get is jeffy winning the bike that's the only I like the fine line is at bobby i know i couldn't believe it amanda are you ready for the lightning round yes i've prepped you don't have a choice and you can't prep <laughs> <laughs> i have four i think one yeah four like kind of rapid fire, short answer questions. Okay. Okay. Bigger food binge after a three day cross weekend, like jingle or after a weekend, like unbound slash dirty Kansas. Say the last um, of the season. So you can really binge if it's cross, like after the last cross race, bigger binge or after DK bigger binge. Um, after DK bigger, after CX drunker. Nice. <laughs> Probably goes with each. <laughs> well, I'm just going to ask this one. It was my third one, but favorite after event beverage. <laughs> um, I changes anything really. I mean, I like a good, like mixed drink. I'll go with Do that. you? Mm-hmm. Uh, more over a beer or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in in your preference, maybe, and maybe it, you're just growing into this preference, but currently, do, do you like a mass start situation or an ITI, FKT kind of situation? Trap and fire, Amanda. Currently, uh, a solo effort. Solo effort, just go. This is Amanda's effort. This is who's going to see what's up. Yeah. Awesome. Um. What's one place, I'll give you two places. Uh, one place you'd like to race cross in the world, I'm saying world, and one place you'd like to race gravel in the world that you you just haven't been. Uh, cyclocross Japan nice. and gravel. I was supposed to go to Iceland last year, so I'll say Iceland. Or the Rift. Yeah. That is an intense looking event. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those pictures, I I don't even know that it's real. I know. It looks like you're on a different planet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I was bummed we couldn't go last year. So, yeah. Sometime. Well, Amanda, congratulations. You survived <laughs> the lightning round. You Pretty went painless. easy. It, yeah, it, you know, easy. I don't really think too much. I just <laughs> kind of spit it. So sometimes it's better. Sometimes, you know, 
Those are good ones, though. Um, Amanda, you know, we talked about you're riding a Niner bike, SDG saddle. You've ridden a Shimano drivetrain for this, at least. Um, any other uh, social plugs are fine. You know, how do people follow you or the podcast? Um, we'll attach some links under this uh, that I'll get from you later so we can make sure people are getting uh, some awareness. But anything you want to plug or, or direct us to? Yeah, I one thing I forgot to talk about about the the Los Padres ride is the the orange mud backpacks. Mm, I, yeah, yeah. It, I don't want people to think I just did this on like just bottles or whatever. It definitely wouldn't have been possible without some sort of hydration pack on me. And that being said, the way that that pack is designed, I could stuff all that liquid, whatever extra tools and stuff I needed in there, and then like the bungee straps on the outside let me just connect all the extra clothing I needed on that. So that what was model key. of pack. Cause I personally also really enjoy the orange mud stuff and Josh is a person and he's at all kinds of events. If you want to meet somebody who makes your stuff, Josh, he's the, he's a guy like that. What particular pack did you ride for this and what capacity bladder did it, uh, could it hold? So for this ride, I rode the Endurance Pack 2.0, uh-huh. and they just released the 3.0, so I haven't yet gotten to try that, and I'm excited about a couple of modifications that he did to it. And that pack carries a two-liter bladder. You can put a one-liter in it if you sure. want. It's big enough for that, but I carried a two-liter, and and then I had two bottles on my on my frame. But Josh also sells the collapsible like flask Flash. bottle yeah that hydro hydro flask makes and they're labeled orange mud they're awesome and so i carry two of those also because they fit in the shoulder straps of the pack so amazing i mean this it was like designed for stuff like this there where you can be self-sufficient and it gets out of the way after you're done with it so um that was yeah that was probably the probably the most important piece of equipment for something like this oh that's awesome i'm so glad you brought that up because I guess I would have assumed maybe a different brand with some of the other associations. So I'm so, but you know, orange mud probably under a lot of people's radar, but I, I want to clarify, not just is Josh Adamance, he is participating in his products. Um, so I have plenty of happiness to shout out to them because it's, I really like their products and people do not know about that company. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's definitely. If you're over Camelback and all those companies, look at Orange Mud. It's legit. It's it's purpose built. That's what I love about it. From guys that uh, I know, he did the double the same year my wife did at Land Run, a 50k run, hundred mile bike, wearing his stuff, using his product. Like that's good test, I think. Yeah, for sure. And the same cannot be said about some of the larger brands. I feel like they make something that like kind of works, you know, but. Orange Med just makes everything exactly for what you need. (laughs) Every little thing on it has a purpose. And I don't think anything will fit necessarily everyone's body. But Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a, I've always called it more the ability to pivot. Orange Mud doesn't have to make a million packs. So if he finds a deficiency, and I know this to be true, he will pivot and they will correct it. That's why you see version two already version three. Um, yes. Some companies can, some companies can't, and it's not an indictment necessarily of the bigger ones. It just is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where else can um, we find? Uh, so where can we find? We'll, we'll make sure an orange mud link is there. You tell Josh. Um, where else can we find you? 
keep track of what you're up to look forward to next time you're in Iowa for jingle cross weekend, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I am known as Amanda Panda in some circles. So if socks. You, yeah. If you look that up, you'll, you'll probably find me on Instagram and Twitter and I don't do too much on Facebook, but yeah, Amanda Panda will get you, get you to some places to find me. Please send me a message. I, I'll, I'll answer all my DMS. Same like Jay Peterberry said on his podcast. Um, I am an open book. And so if you listen to this and you have a bunch of follow-up questions or you want some inspiration to go do something similar, or you have questions about this route specifically, and you want to do it, just let me know. Yeah, I would add, I don't, I'm sure he won't mind this. If you're interested in the training aspects and you're looking towards coaching, uh, Dave does some coaching, uh, that could maybe be available. I know athletes of his, who have had success, uh, even who they are. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're more interested in Amanda's, you know, head of the race podcast, the Grodio, um, and that aspect of gravel, um, reach out cause you can get more and more and more from Amanda. Um, I'm am Blake 50 on the Instagrams. I don't really do the Facebook too much anymore. Uh, you can follow me. I post a lot of food right now because I'm always in the kitchen. Um, we are on fat-bike.com, the place for fat bike information and other badass stuff like the FKT attempt number one by Amanda Nauman on the Los Padres Traverse. Amanda, very much appreciated. Thank you for spending time with me and just getting to chat. It's like I said, with we only get to see each other maybe two times a year anyways. Um, yeah. It'll be nice to catch up with you somewhere sometime, hopefully on a road of some kind or not. I don't really yes. care. <laughs> were you were you at Mid-South last year? I was not at Mid-South last year. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, just, you know, been picking and choosing. It's 10 hours for us down there either way. So it's yeah. like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. It's um, crazy to think it's been a year since I've seen a lot of people. So it's definitely nice to catch up with you. It definitely is. And it just stokes the fire that, you know, the party will be grand when it goes down. Yes. Awesome. Soon. Amanda, again, thank you. My appreciation. Keep tuning in. Women Who Rock series is crushing, in my opinion, and that's the one that matters most in this case. Uh, fat-bike.com. Check it out. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>